Good morning, church. Good morning, Ryan. If you guys can make your way to your seats, we're going to start worshiping the Lord. And here we go. Thank you. 
service to you. Um, we just pray that uh, we are here with open hearts and open minds and just um, and that we just receive all these wonderful blessings that uh, you will give us today in your precious, precious name. Amen. Christ is still risen today. Yes, he is risen. Risen indeed. Amen. We can do that on non-resurrection Sundays uh, as well. Uh, but uh, if you have uh, your church bulletin, you can uh, pull that out. And we just uh, to cover a few things uh, here uh, this morning, uh, we have had uh, a reminder that the Lord is sovereign over technology uh, this morning. Uh, the server uh, for the live stream is having some hiccups, and uh, the guitar feed uh, is uh, trying to be figured out right now. So uh, bear uh, with us uh, in those things. The good news is we are still able to worship the Lord even when technology is not cooperating. Amen? Uh, I guess those that are on the live stream are having a little bit more trouble, but uh, they're still able to worship, just not uh, in witnessing uh, the... the uh, the songs uh, and the, the sermon with us. But if you open up your, uh, your bulletin there, uh, we have a lot of things going on. And uh, it, sometimes there's certain Sundays that catch me off guard because I look at the, the bulletin and I was like, wow, that's next week. Uh, and it's, uh, it's always when the, the first day of the month falls on a Sunday. You're like, oh, next Sunday is May 1st, uh, which means a lot of things. Uh, it means that uh, our membership class, uh, which begins May 1st uh, and runs that, those first four uh, Sundays uh, during the equipping hour, uh, that it begins next week. Uh, and I'll be teaching that. Uh, so if you are, are new here, if you are interested in hearing uh, more about uh, kind of the, the church uh, culture, uh, who we are, uh, what we do and why we do what we do, uh, that would be a wonderful class for you to attend. Uh, you can attend that class without uh, necessarily having to pursue membership uh, beyond that, but we would encourage you uh, to attend if, if you are uh, new. Uh, we are also continuing in our study, uh, in the, our equipping hour class that meets here uh, in uh, the multi-purpose uh, building. Uh, on how to study uh, the Bible. Uh, that class is uh, winding down and getting ready to, to switch over to kind of a, a Bible survey uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but we would encourage you to uh, attend that equipping hour from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, each Sunday. Uh, you can tune in via live stream when the live stream is working. Uh, we also have a wonderful library of equipping hour classes uh, from the past. I've had uh, numerous people come up and ask me, have you ever thought about doing a series on this? And I say, yes, we actually have done that series already. And they're like, really? Uh, I say, yes, in the Equipping Hour uh, library, if you go in and look, you will find uh, a lot of classes of things we've covered in the past. So I'd encourage you to, to check that out and familiarize yourself there. Uh, the next uh, thing on the announcements is that the Titus II Women's Discipleship uh, meets tomorrow from 6.30 to 8.30 at Meridian First Baptist uh, Church in their fellowship uh, hall. Uh, and I have been told that your homework load has decreased. Uh, uh, that uh, you, uh, they'll be covering chapter 7, but not chapter 8. Uh, and uh, Carol also uh, asked me to remind everybody that you are welcome to attend. Even if you have not attended uh, previously, you are even welcome to attend if you have not done any of the homework. And everybody said... 
Amen. Yeah, all the, all the ladies said amen. Uh, so we would encourage you to come. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful topic tomorrow evening, living in freedom uh, in Christ. Uh, and it's important just to, to come and glean uh, all that you can uh, from what is going to be uh, taught. It will be a sweet time uh, of fellowship as well. Uh, and men, uh, we are on uh, kid duty uh, tomorrow evening. Do everything that you can uh, to let uh, your wife attend uh, those evenings. Uh, and uh, just a, a, a marker down uh, on the mark your calendar, the next Titus 1's gathering uh, is uh, a week from uh, tomorrow on May 2nd. So just keep that uh, in mind. Uh, next Sunday, since it's the first Sunday of the month, we'll be celebrating uh, the Lord's Table together. And we also have our church potluck uh, from 1230 to 2. Uh, and you have information there about uh, what to bring and who should bring what. And then, uh, also beginning May 1st, next Sunday, uh, the f for those first four Sundays in May, we will be doing a baby bottle uh, fundraiser uh, with uh, Stanton Healthcare. It's a, a wonderful ministry here in the Treasure Valley uh, to help uh, uh, kind of uh, pregnant moms uh, in need, and we'll be doing a fundraiser uh, with them. Uh, we'll have baby bottles uh, at the, the back at the end of the service uh, next Sunday, and we would ask each of you to, to take uh, one home uh, and fill it with uh, spare change or however you feel led uh, to give uh, in support of that ministry. And then uh, on the, the 22nd of May, we'll collect those baby bottles uh, and uh, just uh, a good way to support uh, their ministry uh, there. Uh, other things uh, on the the, the uh, bulletin there, you see the college and career uh, game night will be Friday, May 20th. That'll be held uh, at uh, the Hayes home out in Nampa. It'll be a, a bunco night, so it should be a, a lot of fun uh, to be a part of that. You can RSVP by contacting Christy uh, with her email address there. Uh, all church camp is continuing to, to fill up. Uh, I believe all of the, the cabins have been uh, signed up and reserved at this point in time, but there's still a lot of uh, uh, camping uh, sites uh, and uh, RV spots as well. And there are some last year who also uh, stayed uh, at a, a local uh, motel and then kind of came over. If, if, you don't, if you do Camp Ramada, if that's more your style, uh, then uh, you, can, uh, you can sign up uh, to to sleep at one of those uh, motels and rent a room there and then just come over uh, during the day. It's a wonderful, wonderful time, and I would encourage you all uh, to, to try and uh, make it up there at some point uh, during that weekend. And then just that reminder, there won't be any uh, church service for ABF here uh, on that Sunday morning. And then also, just to, to keep on the back of your minds, uh, on the mark your calendar, you see that the two weekends after uh, the all church camp that we will be meeting uh, our worship service at Tully Park, uh, which is uh, if you make a, a right on uh, Cherry and then go down to Linder and make another right, Tully Park is going to be uh, that park on the, the right hand side of the street as you go north uh, on uh, Linder. There, we're going to meet there those two Sundays, and uh, this is very important there's going to be a softball game each of those Sundays afterwards. So, if you need to start to warm up your arm, uh, guys, how many of you are still a little bit sore from basketball several weeks ago? Uh, if you're going to uh, participate in that uh, those softball games you can start to warm up now uh, it'll be a sweet time of uh, fellowship uh, and we'll have more information uh, coming uh, as that uh, approaches if you uh, turn the couple pages over you'll see that we're winding down uh, our reading in proverbs for this month and we'll have a new reading plan uh, next sunday you'll see information there about ambassador youth now i see that there's an ice cream social on wednesday may 4th i may have to attend that uh, and then uh, information on our growth groups. We'll also have information forthcoming. Uh, some of you have asked what happens during uh, the summer months uh, when there is no growth group. 
Uh, wonderful, wonderful question. We're going to be uh, arranging to have uh, some fellowship uh, dinners throughout the summer so you get to meet people, uh, not just who are in your growth group, but outside of your group. And so we'll have uh, a lot more information uh, forthcoming on that. Uh, as summer gets uh, ever closer, uh, next Sunday is May 1st. It's hard to, hard to imagine. I don't know if I'm ready for that. But uh, one thing we do need to get ready for is the scripture reading. Uh, Bruce is going to come up. He's going to be reading from Ephesians 5 if you want to get your Bibles out and read along with him. Ephesians 5, starting with verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let us pray. Lord, this passage is very sobering. Lord, there's lots of things that are listed here that described perfectly how we used to be as men and women who did not love you. 
Lord, these were shameful things. These were things that brought great dishonor to you and shame to ourselves. But Lord, we are so grateful. And that's why the things that come off of our tongue are different than what they used to. Because we're full of gratitude. Because we know we don't deserve the light that was given to us. Lord, it exposed the darkness that we were living in, but it's given us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And for that, we're amazingly grateful. Lord, I pray that you would, you would change us, not only personally, but as a church. Lord, that we would be full of your word. Lord, uh, praise, thanksgiving would be what, what rolls off our tongue because you are in the forefront of our minds. Lord, I pray that we would not only give you praise, but as you commanded us, Lord, that we would love one another and put the interests of others before ourselves. Lord, we know we can't do this apart from your indwelling spirit for whom we give thanks. Amen. Please stand as we continue worship in your great name. It's a newer song here at Ambassador, so if you want to listen and meditate on the words, feel free. Um, here you go.
teachers and we will finish one more song with he will hold me fast
here this morning knowing that you will hold us fast. Uh, for those that are struggling with anxiety and stress, just uh, reveal to them that you are holding them fast and uh, forever and ever. And we just pray that um, that we just come here today to just honor you um, with our words and our just uh, with praise and honor to you. Uh, we are not worthy of your throne, Lord. We are in the presence of your throne. We are just not worthy. But through the Son sent by the Father to die on the cross, to live a life we could not live, and to die a death we could not die. For this reason, we are welcomed in your courts and loved by you as we are yet still sinners. We pray for this. Um, we, Lord, we just pray for the sermon today, Lord, that your hand is upon it. We pray for the service. We pray for the fellowship we will have after. Guide our tongues and our words as we uh, are hopefully and it's an edifying conversation um, that you will be pleased with. And, Lord, we are just praying all these things in your precious, precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Such sweet truths in that song, right? For my life he bled and died. If Christ uh, died for us, he's not going to, to lose us somehow later. Uh, he will hold us fast. Uh, if you have your uh, Bibles, you can open up with me to John uh, 12. We're going to continue w working through John's gospel. And back on April 19th, 1951, uh, General Douglas MacArthur uh, delivered a very famous uh, farewell address uh, to a, a joint meeting of Congress. Uh, eight days uh, earlier... Uh, then uh, General MacArthur uh, had been relieved of uh, duty uh, as the, the commander uh, of U.S. forces uh, in the Korean War. Uh, and uh, President uh, Truman had relieved MacArthur of duty, and uh, MacArthur came home, uh, and he's speaking to Congress, uh, and uh, he summarized his, his 52-year uh, career in the military, uh, and in that speech, MacArthur uh, waxed eloquent, and he, he ended a very lengthy speech by recalling a line from a song that he had sung uh, at West Point. He said, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. Uh, and like the old soldier of that ballad, I clo now close my military career uh, and just fade away. An old soldier who tried to do his duty as God gave him the light to see that duty. That was the, the last major speech by, by Douglas MacArthur, who was uh, revered at that point in time by most Americans as, as the man who had led uh, America to victory over the Japanese in the Pacific. And, and the final words of any public figure are, are usually of, of lasting significance. We, we remember those words because those are the, the words that they have uh, thought poignantly about. Uh, and those are the words that they want to be remembered for. And uh, what we come to this morning uh, in John chapter 12 uh, is what the Apostle John is going to uh, present to us as uh, the final public words of Jesus. And some of you might be uh, looking at the, the scripture uh, that we're, we're going to, to study, uh, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 34 to, to 36. And some of you might be looking ahead and, and realizing that verse 44 in chapter 12 says that that Jesus cried out and, and spoke again. He, he said uh, certain things, and we're going we're gonna to look uh, at that. 
in a couple of weeks, but it's, it's best to, to understand verses uh, 37 uh, through 50. As, I, as we've talked about, there are four different scenes in John chapter uh, 12. At the, the beginning of the chapter, uh, we have uh, Mary anointing at the feet of Jesus. Uh, in verses uh, 12 to 19, we have Jesus entering into Jerusalem, uh, what's known as the, the triumphal entry. Uh, verses uh, 20 to 36, this third scene that we are in uh, right now, uh, is uh, Jesus announcing uh, that his hour, his time has finally come. Uh, and then uh, verses 37 to 50 are really in a summary paragraph uh, from the Apostle John. Uh, and it's going to be uh, summarizing what uh, Christ has taught during his uh, public ministry. And it's going to be addressing the unbelief of the world. Uh, and uh, these types of uh, summary uh, paragraphs uh, are, are seen earlier in John's gospel as well. There were two of them in, in John chapter 3. Uh, if you remember way back uh, when we studied those, uh, those passages. But, but we're here at the end of this uh, third scene uh, in John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. And we saw that, that the Greeks came uh, in search of Jesus, wanting to have an audience with him. And uh, uh, when that was uh, taking place, or as soon as G Jesus got news of that, his uh, disciples came and said, hey, there are some Greeks who want to speak with you. Uh, Jesus immediately said, all right, this is the hour. Now, this is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he speaks about his death. He speaks about discipleship. Now, we saw in verses uh, 27 and following uh, that Jesus prayed uh, as he's looking to the cross and, and experiencing the, the inner turmoil of taking sin and judgment upon himself. Uh, he, he prays, and then God the Father answers audibly, uh, and uh, the people are confused uh, by what that means. Uh, and then after that, what we looked at last Sunday, uh, Jesus spoke uh, in verses 31 to 33 about the, uh, the, his death on the cross and what it would accomplish, what it would result in. If you look with me at verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And, and he said this to show by what kind of death uh, he was going to die. Uh, and uh, now as we, as we come to th these next uh, few verses, uh, what we're going to see is uh, the, the final uh, words of Jesus publicly. The next time he's going to be seen is going to be uh, in, a, in a trial in the early morning uh, before Pontius Pilate. And so the Apostle John is presenting this as these are the final words that Jesus is going to, to proclaim uh, to this crowd, probably uh, in the temple, uh, which piques our interest a little bit, right? Now, if, if this is Jesus' last occasion of, of speaking publicly, what is he going to say? Well, if you look with me at verses 34 to 36, we're going to see that the, that the crowd is going to respond uh, to Jesus' prediction, he's going to indicate the manner of death, as we saw in verse 33. So verse 34 says, So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light, 
that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So what we, what we see is, is that the, the crowd is going to be confused and, and Jesus is going to, uh, to address them, uh, not uh, answering their question, but, but urging them to understand what is most important at this hour. When, when the Son of Man is just about to be glorified, uh, when he is just about to go to his death, he's not going to, to rehash everything that he's already said and spoken in his ministry. He's going to impress upon them their greatest need. Jesus' words uh, are going to be an exhortation to the crowd, and they're going to be an exhortation to us uh, to understand the, the urgency of our own situation, as he calls each of us to, to walk and trust in him. But, but why is it that, that Jesus is presenting this as, as such a, an urgent situation to the crowd? And why is this still uh, urgent for us uh, in the 21st century? We're going we're gonna to see that this morning. We can divide this passage into, into three portions. And the first one is uh, in that first verse, verse 34, we, we see the confused question. <clears throat> we see uh, that, that the, the crowd is, is hearing and taking in everything that Jesus is, is saying. And, and they're going to understand a few things very accurately. They, they have rightly understood that Jesus is saying that he is going to die. Now, they understand that when he's talking about going and, and being lifted up, that he is speaking of his death. They, they, they rightly understand that. They also rightly understand uh, that Jesus has claimed to be the Messiah, uh, that he has claimed uh, to, to be the, the Son of Man, a, a, a messianic term, uh, a messianic title from Daniel 7. Uh, that they understood uh, that he is presenting himself as the Messiah. And again, going back on, on Palm Sunday, what did they do? They welcomed him in as the Messiah, as the king that they have been waiting for, shouting, uh, Hosanna, save now. This is the, the king uh, that they have been waiting for for a long time. Uh, they also understand the Old Testament correctly, uh, that the, the Messiah uh, will come and he will reign forever. Uh, and this is uh, coming from uh, multiple places in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Now, the, the messianic kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Ezekiel 37, verse 25 speaks of David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Daniel 2, 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Uh, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms, uh, and, but it itself uh, will endure forever. So, so the crowd rightly understands all of those things. Now, but there's something that the crowd can't figure out and this is what what prompts them to to ask jesus this question right if uh, if if jesus is the messiah if he is the son of man how can he die right now if the son of man this messianic title uh, how can he come and die rather than coming and, and living and ruling and reigning forever? We're expecting this eternal kingdom. How can you be speaking about the Son of Man coming and dying? And so they conclude 
uh, one of two things. That, that Jesus must be using the Son of Man to talk about somebody else other than this, the Old Testament Messiah. So that who, who are you talking about? Or they could be asking what type of Messiah would die? What kind of Messiah comes and, and rather than, than saving and leading the, the charge, comes and, and is killed by the Romans that he is supposed to be conquering? So they ask, who is this son of man that you are speaking about? And so, so they've, uh, they've figured out so much, about 90%. It's like they're, they're following a recipe, but part of the page is torn out. So it's like, what do I do next? Or uh, those of you who have built Ikea furniture, right? You, you've got all of the pieces, and then you're like, something is missing. One little component, and then I can't build anything else. And that's kind of how they feel right now. That they have all of this information, and they're trying to make sense of it, but just it, it's a head-scratcher to them. Because there, there's one missing piece of their comprehension of Jesus and the Messiah. And that missing piece is that the Messiah comes not once, but twice. This was something that was taught in the Old Testament in a very uh, concealed way. And it's one of the, the mysteries that are uh, made and revealed or made clear in the New Testament. Where is this taught in the Old Testament uh, and made more clear in the New Testament? Well, uh, Isaiah 61, verses uh, 1 and 2. If you, if you turn uh, back there uh, with me just briefly. <clears throat> one of the, the servant songs in Isaiah, the final one, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, uh, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim uh, the year of the Lord's favor, uh, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Verses 1 and 2 are, are key that the servant's uh, song uh, extends uh, beyond that into, into verse 3. But now if you, if you turn over uh, to Luke chapter 4, you'll see that there is a, uh, an early portion in uh, Jesus' ministry where he is in Nazareth. In chapter, Luke chapter 4 verse 16. He came to Nazareth and where he had been brought up and it was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, uh, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what's amazing is Jesus stopped the reading halfway through verse 2 in Isaiah 61. Do you remember what came after the, the favorable year of the Lord that he didn't read and he didn't say was fulfilled? The day of vengeance, right? That, that's the, the second coming of Christ. But Jesus is there emphasizing his first coming. This is the favorable year of the Lord. Uh, he is there to declare freedom to the captives. That, that's, what, that's his first coming. But his second coming, that will be when vengeance comes and 
true comfort will come to all those who mourn. This is also uh, made clear in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, uh, the prophecy of 70 weeks. Daniel 9, verse 24 says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people, speaking of Israel, and about your holy city, speaking of Jerusalem. Uh, And uh, in that verse, there are then six uh, infinitive, six little small purpose statements uh, concerning uh, what's going to to take place in the days to come. So there's six infinitives, and the first three, you see, to finish the transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. Those first three are fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus. And and the, the second three that are listed there, will be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, uh, there is a a distinction made uh, concerning Christ as the Messiah. Uh, Hebrews 9, uh, 27 says, Just as it is appointed for men, or for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You and I, all of us, will die how many times? One time. But verse 28 says this, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, the first time Jesus came was to pay the penalty for sin. The the Jews expected a triumphant and eternal Messiah uh, who would who would come and immediately establish his rule and reign but if he does that all of humanity is still separated from god in our sin jesus came and and died uh, he came the first time as the suffering servant who would give his life as a ransom for many uh, and it is the, the second coming of the messiah uh, when he will come as the conquering king who will judge the world and establish a kingdom without end and so the the, the crowd is, is struggling to to figure this out. How can the Messiah die and have an eternal kingdom? Well, he hasn't come once. He comes twice. And you look at this and you say, they're, they're struggling because they're not rightly understanding the Scriptures. And, and in one sense, uh, a, a misunderstanding of Scripture is, is at the root of many of our problems and situations in life. Now, there are a good many of us who, who struggle in this life with doubt, with confusion, uh, w- with sin and temptation because now, we are not fully un- understanding what God's Word teaches. Or as Bruce taught in the equipping hour today, which I would encourage you to go listen to, uh, we, we cannot act upon or believe what we don't know. So, so spiritual growth, sanctification begins with knowledge, but it's a lot more than knowledge. Uh, It must exceed knowledge. We have to move from uh, knowing the right answer to being convinced that the right that is indeed the right answer, and that we are willing to uh, act upon what we know. Uh, That necessity of faith. Uh, But but here the, the crowd is is not understanding what the Bible has taught in its fullness concerning Jesus, and it's not not to blame them because this was was hidden and, and veiled in a mystery. It's going to be made clear in the New Testament. But what we need to see here is that the, the solution to many of our struggles in life is that we need to run to the Scriptures. Uh, we need to run to the Bible, and we need to take it into our hearts and into our souls. As uh, we've been reading this month in the, in the book of Proverbs, right? Uh, a lot of contrast between the wise and the foolish. 
Uh, how many times have, have we begun to see it? Just reading this month, you're like, oh, Proverbs says that's foolish, and I do that, right? You're like, I do that all the time. Uh, and, and you begin to, to see and grow in wisdom, but, but you had to, to know and see and understand. Then you can begin to, to act upon that. Uh, there's a piece of missing information in the crowd's understanding here. But, but Jesus doesn't take the time, as the crowd brings this to his attention, and they express their confusion. Jesus doesn't take the time to sit down and do a, a lengthy Bible study with them. He doesn't go to Isaiah and talk about, well, the Messiah is actually going to come twice, and so I'm going to die here, but I'm going to return later. He doesn't do that because he's already done that. He's already gone through all of those things. And, and how has the crowd responded? With unbelief. Uh, they, they have not heard and received all that he has taught. And so rather than, than going into what, what the crowd is asking about, Jesus is, is going to, to address them concerning what they need to hear most. This is what we see in the, the second portion of our passage. Verse 35 and the first part of verse 36. We, we see uh, the urgent commands. If you look at those verses with me, Jesus is, begins, he, he says to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Uh, and he, he begins by establishing the urgency of the situation. Uh, when you see the light uh, in John's gospel, it uh, pretty much is always a reference to Jesus himself. Uh, the light of the world is Jesus. Uh, this, this is a, a recurring theme in John's gospel, going back to, to chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. John chapter 8, verse 12 Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what Jesus is emphasizing here, he is the light of the world. But, but there is a time when the light will no longer be with them and among them. Now, there is a time when Jesus is going to depart, and this creates an urgency uh, for the, those in the first century, uh, it creates an urgency to look to and follow him right then and there. And because of this uh, urgency that he is going to depart, he issues two commands. Uh, and both of them concern how the, the crowd and how the people were to respond to the light while he is there with them. The first command is this. He says, walk in the light. Uh, and then he's going to explain it as we see. You can say, walk in the light because there is danger in the darkness. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. So Jesus issues this command. He says, walk in the light. So it's a present tense imperative, meaning keep on walking. 
Uh, and as long as Jesus is there with them, they should continue uh, to walk in the light that he is casting into their lives. Uh, and the, the idea of, of walking uh, is, is referring to uh, your conduct of, of life, uh, h- how you order uh, the way that you live. And they are to, to walk according to uh, all that Jesus has taught, all of the light that he has shed upon their path, uh, upon their hearts, upon their minds. He says, you, begin, you need to begin to live according to all that Jesus has taught. James Montgomery Boyce says, walking in the light involves continuing uh, activity or progression. In other words, a, a proper response to Jesus involves much more than merely committing oneself to a set of truths and then acting upon them once. Rather, it involves committing oneself to Jesus, who is on the move and following him continuously. It means walking in his steps. It means doing what he does, thinking as he thinks, acting as he acts. And to do that is to walk in the light, for he is the light. So Jesus issues this command. Keep on walking in the light. And then he explains why this command should be obeyed. He, he, he explains what will happen if you don't obey this. This is what the result will be. Uh, the, the ESV says, lest, is walk in the light, uh, lest darkness overtake you. But really it's, uh, uh, the, the NASB uh, translates it as, as so that. That's a clear marker of, of purpose, right? Do this so that you will get this. Uh, walk in the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. Uh, and that same word for overtake is a word that we initially were presented with back in John chapter 1, verse 5. It says that the light came into the world and, and the, wor- the darkness uh, could not overcome it. It could not overtake it. It's a, it's a very uh, unique and important word in John's gospel. It has the idea of uh, comprehension. It has the idea of uh, taking control of something, uh, of becoming a master over something, of obtaining something. This word is used uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize so then run that you may here's our word obtain it so jesus is is making a a contrast right darkness uh, is held up in contrast to the light of christ And, and to walk in christ is to walk and live according to his teaching to walk in the darkness now, is to reject the teaching of the light, to reject the teaching of Christ, and, and to walk according to our own sinful ways. And the way of the unbelieving world, which has rejected Jesus. And even more sobering here, is that Jesus describes this darkness as actively striving to overtake us. Now, the, the darkness of this world is always chasing us. You didn't realize that you were in a chase scene throughout your entire life. Uh, the, the darkness is of this world uh, is striving to come after us and it is impressing itself upon us continually. And if we are not actively, continually walking in the light of Christ, what Jesus is, is saying here is that the darkness will overcome you. Uh, it will gain possession of you and master you. Because it is ever encroaching upon you. And, and Jesus makes an additional statement about someone who walks in the darkness. Uh, at the end of verse 35, right? Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. 
And the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Right? Uh, the one who, uh, who's walking in the dark is not aware of, of two things. Uh, number one, where he is presently. Uh, and number two, where he is headed. Uh, that's the, the impact and the effect of darkness. And walking in, in spiritual darkness is like walking in, in literal darkness. And you know how hard it is just to walk in your own house without turning on the lights. Right? All it takes is one little thing out of place or one Lego piece to be in the middle of the floor. Uh, and then you got a man down uh, in the middle of the night. He's like, oof. That's painful. You, you understand, and again, Jesus uses this picture of light and darkness because it is so clear. And he is, he is portraying this, this reality. And Jesus is, is giving this command because he is about to go out from them. He's saying the light's not always going to be with you, and you know how difficult it is to try and walk and live in the dark. And, and so there is an urgency for them to begin to, to look to and walk after Jesus. And, and you might be, be thinking about this and saying, well, I understand how that would be urgent for them in the first century. Like, yes, Jesus is about to leave. He's about to depart from them. But, but Jesus is not here presently with us now. So in what sense is there an urgency for us to walk in Jesus here and now? He's never been here in and among us. But I would say that there is still an urgency for us to walk in the light for several reasons. Number one, understanding that we don't know how long we have on this earth. Now, we don't know how long we, until we depart from this world. I love Psalm 90, verse 12, a wisdom psalm written by Moses. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Right? Numbering our days, realizing we don't know the, the full uh, number of days that we have. That psalm says that we may have 70 or, or 80 years. We don't know when we will depart. So there is an, an urgency for us to walk in the light here and now, today, rather than tomorrow, because we don't know when we will depart. Secondly, there, there is an urgency because of that darkness. Right? The, the darkness is not just sitting there. It is following us. It is coming after us. It is pressing upon us. And unless we are walking in the light, what will take place? It will overcome us. It will obtain us. And there are only two mutually exclusive options here, and that is how light and darkness work, right? Uh, that if light is present, darkness is not. Uh, and if light is absent... Darkness is going to be present. And yet there's, there's a, a spectrum concerning how much light is present, but that's, those are the only two options. Light and the absence of light equals darkness. And if we don't walk in the light, then the only other option is that we are walking in the darkness. That we are uh, lost. We, we are moving about uh, without direction, without an understanding uh, of how much danger or what dangers surround us. And the darkness of this world still presses upon us, even as Christians. We feel the, the, the darkness from the, the sinful world around us working upon us externally, right? We, we feel that encroaching upon us more and more. 
we're honest, we also feel the, the darkness of indwelling sin uh, within our hearts, working upon us internally. The, the, the darkness is always there, internally and externally. And if we are not striving to walk in the light, we will give in. And, and in a strange irony, but what's amazing, it is those who walk in the light who are more troubled by the darkness than those who are actually just walking in the darkness. Indeed, those who are in the darkness are not really even aware that they are walking in the darkness because they've been, they've been spiritually blind their entire life. They don't even know what else is out there. The light has not shone in to show them the world around them clearly. But we who have looked to the light of Christ in the gospel, we now see the world around us. We see the danger and we see the darkness encroaching, again, externally and internally. And though we walk in the light, the tentacles of darkness that pursue us are revealed by that light. We begin to, to see it clearly and we are grieved because we now see things clearly, we're grieved when we give in to that darkness that is following and encroaching us. The Puritan Samuel Bolton puts it well. He says, though we still have uh, the presence, uh, nay, the stirrings and working of corruptions, which makes us to have many a sad heart and a wet eye, yet Christ has thus far freed us from sin. It shall not have dominion, and there may be the turbulence, but not the prevalence of sin. Now, it was said of Carthage that Rome was more troubled with it when it was half destroyed than when it was whole. And so a godly man may be more troubled with sin when it is conquered than when it reigns. Now, that, that's the, the result of, of living and walking in the light that we are more afraid of the darkness once we have been in the light. And that even though the, the darkness presses upon us and, and we feel it pursuing us, well, we have to remember that we are guaranteed the victory. Uh, just, just go back a little bit to what we looked at uh, last week in verse 31. Right Now is the time. Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Uh, he is the, the prince of darkness has been defeated. We looked at that last week. He's now fighting from death row, uh, and we are guaranteed victory over him and victory over sin. Romans 6, verses 5 through 7, For if we have been united with him in, death like his, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So, so we are guaranteed to never be overtaken by the darkness that is, that is coming after us. But here is the key. What command are we given here? To keep on walking. The other day, I, I took my, my sons out uh, in our neighborhood uh, to do uh, our, our bikes. And uh, earlier in the day, my, my wife had taken them on a long walk. Uh, and so uh, my five-year-old son, he's on a big boy bike now, and he's just, just going along. But my, my little three-year-old son, uh, after the long walk, 
uh, and this is the, the second time out uh, that day. He, he's lagging behind, right? Uh, and uh, he, he's on his little balance bike. Uh, and, and numerous times uh, that, that afternoon, he just stops. He, he's tired. He's discouraged. He feels like I'm getting further and further away from him. And he just stops. And then he cries out, Dada, wait. And I say, son, you have to keep going. Even, even if you're, uh, you're going slowly, even if you're taking little itty-bitty steps on that balance bike, you've you got to keep going. You have to continue walking after me. If you stop, that's where the separation is going to begin. To just keep coming and following after. And that's what we have to do. We cannot stop. We must keep walking. Puritan Thomas Brooks says this. Remember this. That your life is short. Your duties many. Your assistance great. And your reward sure. Therefore, faint not, hold on and hold up in ways of well-doing, and heaven shall make amends for all. But we have to keep pressing on. We must continue to walk in Christ. That's the first of the urgent commands that Jesus uh, gives to the crowd here. Walk in the light because there is a danger in the darkness. Then he gives a, a second command. He says to, to trust in the light because we become like what we worship. If you look at the first part of verse 36, it says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So all of this is, uh, is structured very much like the, the first command. Uh, it is a, uh, a present tense imperative. It's not do this one time, but it's uh, keep on trusting, keep on believing, or you might say, don't stop believing. Uh, and uh, there is a, a continual uh, necessity here. And just like the, the previous command, we have a purpose statement that follows it, uh, which explains why we should obey the command, right? We had to, to keep walking in Christ before because the darkness is, is following after us, seeking to overtake us. And here, uh, the, the so that, trust in Christ so that we might become sons of light. And the idea of, of sonship here is the idea of taking on uh, a quality, uh, taking on the, the characteristics of uh, what is uh, referred to as uh, our Father. Back in John eight forty four, uh, Jesus speaking to the, to the religious leaders, he says, you are of your father the devil, and you do his, the will of, of your father's desires. Uh, that's, the, that's the idea of, of sonship. Uh, but Jesus calls the crowd to believe in the light so that they would become sons of light, so that they would take on the characteristics of the light. And, and this, is, this is, once again, we see that this, this all-important principle that we will become like whatever we are worshiping. Whatever it is that we are following after and looking to, we are going to naturally begin to imitate that. G.K. Beale puts it this way, Why do human beings have this intrinsic tendency to reflect images around them. Genesis 1 and 2 supply the reason. God made man and woman to be creatures who imitate. 
Now, originally, they were created to reflect the image of their creator. However, when they sinned, they decided not to conform their, their life to God's image, but to the image of the serpent's sinful and deceptive character. And ever since, the human tendency has been to reflect part of the creation rather than the creator. Consequently, a person's character is never in neutral. It was not created to be. One is being conformed either to some earthly image or to God's image. Romans 12, 2 says that either you are being conformed to the world or you are being transformed into the image of God by the renewing of your mind in his word. Right? There's no middle ground between light and darkness. There's no middle ground between being conformed to the things of this world or being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, It's an either or. And we as human beings are natural imitators because we were created to be imitators. And if you need to be convinced of that, just think of your last haircut. Okay? Some of you have worn, worn your hair for the, with the same style for a long time. But think about when did you initially get that first haircut of that style? Why did you get it that way? More than likely, where did you see it? On someone else. You said, hey, I kind of like that. Let me imitate that. If you were to, to look back at pictures of yourself in high school, you probably cringe, right? Uh, right? You, you probably you look at your, your haircut, you look at uh, the clothes that you were wearing, and at that moment in time, whenever that picture was taken, what did you think about yourself at that point in time? You were styling. You were cool. And yet, why did you wear those clothes and those styles back in high school? Why, why did you wear your hair that way? Because you were merely imitating what was in fashion or what was cool at that point in time, right? Because when we were in high school, each and every one of us struggled with uh, a really big idolatrous desire. The uh, desire to fit in. Desire to, to be accepted by those around us. And so because we want to be accepted by those around us, what do we do? We conform ourselves, the way that we dress, the way that we act, the things that we say, the things that we pursue. We, we conform ourselves to whatever we're wanting to, to be like. And we begin to, to follow after something and we naturally become more and more like that something. And we're going to talk a lot more about this next week because Jesus makes a, a huge point of this in, in the next uh, little portion here in verses 37 through through 40. Jesus is going to say at, at the, the nation of Israel that they have worshipped idols. So guess what they have become like? They, they have become exactly like the, the uh, deaf, mute, and dumb idols that they have worshipped. But look at the the logic that Jesus presents to us here. Believe in the light so that you might become sons of light. Believing leads to becoming. Again, goes back to a recurring theme in John's gospel. Going back to John chapter 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God. And and looking a little bit closer here uh, at at the Greek in our passage, 
we, w- we would clarify that there is a, a one-time transformation that you might become, uh, and that happens once. It's not an, uh, an ongoing process. You're not trying to, to work your way into becoming a son of light. It, it happens when you believe, when you trust. So it's a one-time transformation. It happens once, and then it's final, but there is a, there is a continual trusting, a continual believing in the light. And then even though uh, that transformation takes place at the moment you first believe, uh, there must be an ongoing present reality of trust in the life of every son of light. Now, in, in, in addition to that, we, we would uh, say that these two commands that Jesus gives here, they are inseparable. That everyone who has trusted in the light will become a son of light, and then what will they do? They will walk in that light. Uh, and there, there are not going to be any uh, sons of light who yet continually walk in the darkness. Uh, and uh, it's amazing. This point is hammered home in the heart and mind of the Apostle John. How do I know? Listen to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John chapter, or 1 John 2, 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Chapter 2, verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It, it's remarkable how, how the, the words of one of the disciples, John, become so conformed to, to sound almost exactly identical to Jesus' words, right? Why is that? We become like what we worship. If we believe in Jesus as the light and we follow after him, what will happen within us? We will become more and more like him. That's what we see. The crowd asked Jesus for for more clarity about the death of the Son of Man. But rather than, than going into the details of that, Jesus in, instead impresses upon them their urgent need to follow him. Their, their urgent need to, to continually trust in him. But then there's a, a startling picture at the end of verse 36, which is the, the third portion I would draw your attention to this morning. Uh, the meaningful departure. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. You could, you could say that this is an acted out parable, just like it was an acted out parable when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey rather than a war horse. Something is being communicated here in the actions of Jesus. Jesus had just warned the people that the time was drawing near. Now, there was an urgency because the light would not always be with them. He, he says that, and then what does he do? He, he departs. And it says that he hides himself from them. I wish I could have seen uh, 
the, the faces on that crowd. Now, I wonder how they responded. I wonder when they began to speak again. Because this departure is meaningful. And, and I think it would have been felt by the crowd that day. I think they would have felt the weight of what he said. And I wonder how many of them would have heeded the warning that he just gave to them. How many of them would have received his invitation? There is a a sudden and meaningful departure, but we shouldn't lose sight of of the words that would have been ringing in everyone's ears. Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. He says that and he walks away. Final public words of Jesus were, were calling people to trust in him. Final public words uh, were, were a promise of freedom from darkness. To, to follow after and walk in the light with all of its benefits. Alexander McLaren puts it this way. Uh, on this passage, he says, He loves too well not to warn but he will not leave the bitterness of threatening as the last savior, savor on the pallet. And so the lips into which grace is poured bade farewell to his enemies with the promise and the hope that even they may become sons of light. You'd say that Jesus is, is preaching as a dying man to dying men. He warns them of the danger that is in the darkness around them, that would, that would seek to, to envelope and to destroy them. And he calls them to trust in him, to walk in him, obeying all that he has taught. He commands them to believe in the light and to walk in the light. And he promises that, that everyone who will obey those commands, everyone who will heed his instructions and his exhortations and respond to this invitation here, he promises that we will become sons of light some of us may be here this morning with with stubbed toes and and a wondering in our hearts why do i keep stubbing my toes why do i continue to to keep tripping over things and some of us need to to examine our our lives and uh, i'm not I'm not saying that every, every time we, we, uh, we have a trial in life that it's a result of our sin. Trials come as a, living in a sinful world. Trials come uh, living among sinful people. Other people can sin against us. But also, all too often, we, we are repeatedly stubbing our toes because we're not walking in the light. But we are walking in the darkness. Yeah, yes, there are moments when even sons of light can give into the, the, the darkness within our hearts and the darkness that tempts us externally. And we need to, to see and, and realize that. And some of us uh, need to begin to believe in Jesus as the light. Some of us need to begin to walk in his light in this life. Others of us need to keep on walking to to keep on believing to continually trust in him 
But either way, whether you need to look to Jesus for the first time, acknowledging your sin and your sinfulness, or whether you are just acknowledging, I've been stubbing my toe in the darkness, and I see it clearly now, and I've been holding this back, but Jesus, I want to I surrender this to you and confess it and forsake it. The, the prescription for all here this morning is to look to Jesus in faith, to keep on trusting in him, and to keep on walking in him. Amen? It's a simple prescription. But will we obey it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father of lights, God, you are faithful, holy, righteous, and true. Father, you are the one who sent your Son to be the light of this world. Though the forces of of darkness in this world battle against the light, they will never overcome it. And for that, we, we praise you and thank you, acknowledging your power over the darkness. You uh, have conquered and overcome the darkness, and you have promised victory to everyone who would walk in the light of your Son. So we come to you praying for strength, praying for endurance to keep on walking, to keep on battling against uh, the darkness that that is encroaching us uh, externally from the world. Give us wisdom and discernment and strength to to continue to walk in Christ even as uh, the darkness of indwelling sin seeks to overpower us. Father, we ask that you would increase our faith. We acknowledge the weakness of our faith and we would beseech you for strength strength to walk continually, strength to, to trust continually, strength to, uh, to believe in faith the danger of the darkness. Father, may you uh, encourage us and spur us on. May you use uh, our church body, our church family here uh, to encourage uh, and exhort one another as long as it is called today. Uh, help us to be aware of the, the danger and the the deception and the deceitfulness of sin. Help us to be aware that uh, that the darkness is able to to harden our hearts against you. And help us to take seriously the commands of Jesus here. Strengthen us to obey and help us to behold Jesus for all that he is and for all that he has done. The light of this world, the light that should shine powerfully over our lives. He is the Word made flesh. And may your Word, may your Son, be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In his name we pray. Amen. And please stand as we praise his name with one more song.
are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Make some disciples. Go out and witness to those at work and just have a blessed week. You're dismissed. <laughs>